Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and it was the best of beer, it was the worst of beer. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we are the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, and I am starting with a beer. I gotta tell you guys, it was the most mental work I've done all day just now to not say A Tale of Big Titties was the tape <laughs> night, because we were texting about that recently. <laughs> And after playing that game of turn every Charles Dickens novel into a porno title, <laughs> they're all like, that's all I can think about. So this book takes place in, uh, well, there's uh, more the than past. one city, but fewer than three. And one of them is London, even though like not a lot happens in London actually in the book. Or they're like, it doesn't matter that it's London, <laughs> but it really matters that the no. other city is Paris. And um, history, history person Nate, what was the monarchy? What was the royal family of France at this time who would oh. soon be deposed? It was the Bourbon. Yes. Or as we call it in America, Bourbon. And so this is <laughs> Goose Island Bourbon County Stout, which is a, where the fuck is the information? A 14.3% alcohol stout aged in Bourbon barrels. And this oui, has oui. been, this is allegedly. The beer that started barrel aging beers. This was the first one to do it in any meaningful way. And they've been doing it since like 1994 or something like that. So it's a big deal. They come out every, every year the day after Thanksgiving. And I have been a little simp bitch for them. And I've been buying them for years now. <laughs> and I have a lot of them in my... I have, I'm actually hoping we could do an in-person day soon because I have one of every year for the last decade. That we could, if we could find a reason to to do like a massive vertical tasting, and then just forget the next three days. Oh, God, <laughs> is a nightmare. But I can't do it by myself. I'm but one man. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I need to find a guy who looks almost exactly like me to help me do this. This is delicious. Oh my God! Like this is this is so good. I know they they've been bought by Anheuser Busch, so people shit on Goose Island, but the prices have gone remained up. mostly unchanged. Though, right? The like prices have bought, gone up a no lot one. for these. But I mean, like, the company, the people that was doing it, they didn't I like think, I think a lot of the, I, I don't know all the details, but I think Load a lot them with of rice that, beer. No, but they have, I mean, I never really liked anything besides these beers, so I didn't mm. really lose anything. And they're great. And they probably have more distribution than they did before. But anyway, A Tale of Two Cities, and I really <laughs> intended to say something else, is a Charles Dickens novel from 1859 that is um, really, really fucking famous. Like, we read this in high school, Jimmy, didn't we? Did you read this in uh, sophomore year? Or my class did. I pretended to read it in high school, mm. I should say. Yeah. And it's I one of the greatest selling books of all time. paragraph, that was it. Oh, yeah, when that guy, that fucking guy who auto-cucks himself tries to like make it sound <laughs> like it was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only head he's going to get. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, so <laughs> it, it, it was, you know, serialized over a course of basically a little over you know, seven months or something like that, which is which is about how long it takes to read. Magazines it. must have been enormous back then. <laughs> I I, can, I wonder when they say magazines, I, I'm either they're really like, maybe they come out like weekly and they Fucking have tome, or were they like the size of a newspaper? <laughs> like, did you have to <laughs> unfold it and you're like, oh, like, like a broadsheet? Like, here's a new story. But we, we should talk about like the serialization. I think actually 
is something that we forget about reading this book today, reading anything from this time today, but actually would have made this a very different experience to read it when it came out. So it takes place... It's like if you're watching a show that comes out once a week as opposed to all at once. Yeah, but like binge, binge watching is still very passive. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I could fall asleep in the middle of an episode of Wednesday and I'll still be fine. And I'll wake up like, oh yeah, she's still kooky. All right. Um, so it takes place over a period of like 20-ish years leading up to the French Revolution, leading up to the Reign of Terror, really. And it starts off with probably one of the most famous opening lines ever. He's like, call me Dickens. And like, That's not <laughs> um, you're going to need a bigger guillotine. No, it's, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And then there's more, but no one remembers that part. It was the age of pegging. It was the age of receiving. <laughs> it was... <laughs> There's a lot in there. Like there's like it could be said that, that was true. It was the age of topping. It was the age of bottoming. Of <laughs> <laughs> uh, the age of subbing. You know. Okay. So it was the age of you know, best of times, worst of times. Looking at it now, it seems like a pretentious, stupid sentence, but it's actually a pretty good setup for the book because the juxtaposition throughout the whole novel is like the wealthy asshole gentry of France and the impoverished trodden people of france and uh they're going to be important the people of paris don't matter at all they do not matter even one iota in this book well yeah they do if you count all the, the jacques but the, the the jacques are in france yeah the people of paris oh i meant to say the people of london don't matter sorry. oh okay oh, I, yeah, wrong yeah, city no, sorry yeah, yeah i said it wrong sorry i said it wrong. Michael, there's only london, two cities london hardly matters <laughs> Well, it's, it could it's, have been Hoboken and Paris. Like, it does not fucking... It, it's just the fact that they're close is what matters. And there I wasn't mean, it even was a tunnel yet. It was because uh, Charles Dickens was writing for the London audience. Right. So then he made it about them, sort of. You know, the people that the French Revolution was all about. People in London. <laughs> <laughs> well, well he, he, so he, when he was writing this book in 1855, or, you know, he was starting to write in 55 and published in 59, the, the French Revolution wasn't was maybe just barely outside of living memory but it actually wasn't that long before but they had that it, like 1848 you know oh, baby and revolution. there were other political revolutions going on in in france and all over europe at the time too so that was only a couple of years before which is one of the reasons why people mistake uh les mis for being during the french revolution because it technically isn't it was during a French Revolution. A, yes, that's not the <laughs> 1789 French Revolution. Um, One of the lesser-known sequels. had a very yeah, similar theme. It was uh, like uh, the new class. <laughs> <laughs> but in 1859, Literally. the French Revolution, the original, the OG Revol- French Revolution, wasn't uh, entirely you know, outside of memory, and especially the Napoleonic Wars that went on, you know, also, because of For the like French Revolution, twenty years. Yeah. I mean, you can argue whether Napoleon's part of the French Revolution or not, but anyway, it was still closely connected. We so. all think it's better than when they came out with a special edition and they like put an Anakin ghost at the end of it later on. <laughs> the original one was just fine. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for uh, Charles Dickens, he was clearly trying to write a a novel about history, a novel that like tells about history, much like. War and Peace was also kind of about this, so that was mostly about the Napoleon part. And that also, was that out yet? When did that come out? I mean, I think historical novels were right a there. thing. It's, it's uh, 10 years later, War and Peace is 1869. Um, 
1865, it started coming out in serial form, and it culminated in 1983 because it took forever. But (laughs) but like I think that was that was a whole genre, Mm -hmm. and it's very different than what we think of as historical fiction today, where it's like. The pyramids were built by aliens, and like, oh, that's that's sorry, that's a history what channel. What if Teddy, <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt was a was a detective or some shit? <laughs> yeah, we, read one, we read one of those, didn't we? We did. did. We, read, we read a book where Teddy Roosevelt oh, was a detective. Yeah, the fucking the alienist when he, well, I guess he was actually the head of the cops. So that was oh true. my, that that wasn't that. I mean, that was a historical fiction book. Mm-hmm. That was like, oh my god, that was that is history now. When we did that episode. Yeah. Uh, Historical, that may be fiction. in the archive, I think. Ooh, book that... They if the archive kids. exists by the time this episode gets published. Okay, so the, fr- so the Tale of Two Cities. So it starts with the very first scene where a man named Lori is... Uh, driving a truck. <laughs> driving a very big truck. No, he's in a carriage. Headed towards Paris, and three riders like ride up to the carriage. It's also like nighttime, and they say, "We have a note for you." And he says, "Oh!" And my response is, "Recalled to life." Dun dun dun. And is then that, you don't know evanescence? what the hell that means. <laughs> what did Jimmy say? Evanescence. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wake me up, I say unto thee. <laughs> Um, and you're like, what the hell does that mean? And then it switches to uh, Laurie talking to the young, hot Lucy. Who's barely legal. Whose character is there only to be hot and innocent. She's like the the glue of the whole book, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. She, everything is... Uh, her hotness is the glue of the whole book. The book, it's basically a wobbly H around Lucy. <laughs> is what, what do you call is. a three-dimensional H? Uh, like a third tower. Uh, airtight. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, well, actually, the, go- the book two, The Golden Thread, it, it's Lucy. That's Lucy is the golden thread. Um, so anyway, uh, and, she's, and he says, I have news for you. I know you thought your, your father had died many 18 years ago, but he isn't. He's alive. It's alive. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and so he uh, is like, we're going to get him now. We're going to come with me to Paris. He is now, he has been in prison this whole time in the Bastille. Let's come see, let's go see him. And so they do, they go to Paris and they find him. And he's a just crazy old man who makes shoes and doesn't remember anything. Just remembers being in the best deal for 18 years. Doesn't remember anything before that. He just makes shoes and says, 105 North Tower. That's like the only thing he can think. I have a theory about that because you know who was also in the Bastille in overlapping terms with him, right? The Marquis, de Marquis de Sade. The Marquis de Sade. So I'm pretty sure that Marquis de Sade somehow got this guy to get into feet. And so he's like, the closest I can get is making shoes. Maybe I'll jerk he- off into them. <laughs> And Maybe so he sent him. His, was like, "That's good." That's he what sent I the want. rough drafts of the book, and in response, this man erased his own memories rather than remember that. And he's like, "I, I just feel like you need more turds." <laughs> <laughs> more turds. What's funny is later in the book, one of the key plot points. So this is spoilers. Key plot point is that during the storming of the Bastille, when when Mister Defarge, what the hell's the name, goes. To the Bastille, like finds Ernest Dr. Manette's... Like yeah, I think it's Ernest. Yeah, Dr. Manette's cell f- and finds a manuscript written in like 
blood yeah. hidden there and takes it with him, but doesn't tell anyone and only reveals it later. That's exactly what happened to Marquis de Sade. His manuscript what found. of whatever the book is called. The, the 120 Libertine, Days of Sodom. Yeah, 120 Days was the actually school literally... school of libertinage or whatever it's called. Was... Available on our Patreon for free. It, yes. If you want to listen it's to that totally episode. totally open. Anybody can see that. Uh, oh, anybody right, can listen. Yeah. So that actual manuscript was hidden in his behind like a rock in his cell. And somebody took it on July 14th, 1789 and hid it. And it wasn't rediscovered until the late 1800s. So it oh, that's, feels, how, that's how long it took for that guy to get tired of jerking off to it. He <laughs> 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 needed a good like 93 years. Like, all right, I, all right it's, I'm spent. That was a lot of arse and, and turd and just <laughs> fucking killing peasant children. And, and at least I don't think that was known to anyone in, to anyone in Charles Dickens' day. So it's just kind of funny that it happened to... Listen, they didn't call him Charles Penisons. That guy was into some stuff. So Lucy... Speaking, can we just... There's one incredible line when the Recall to Life chapter that it shows how times have changed... And it, we live in the best of times now because this line didn't mean anything back then. Is when the coachman, they're like, that's a highway man coming up on them. And they're like, it's a black fellow or whatever they say. It's like old and racist. And then he goes, my blood ejaculated the vexed coachman. <laughs> <laughs> His blood ejaculated? He oh, must have read no. 128 of Sodom. <laughs> like, oh, Gadzooks, that is not good. <laughs> So Lucy Manette goes to Paris and finds her father, Dr. Manette, uh, and says, oh, don't you remember? And of course, sh- she never met him. Like, he had already been in prison by the time she was born. So she's like, I don't recognize you, of course, but you look just like my wife, who has also died a long time ago because Lucy's an orphan. Because women died... Uh- of everything back then, it seems like she, she died of the being vapors. alive. Yeah, yeah, just like oh, well, you had enough children. One, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one and done. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, and so, it's and Lucy and they, it's Manette, not Menette. You can only uh, singular. So Manette. <laughs> so, and, but they're and, uh, hold on, they're French, right? Yeah. So it doesn't even matter for them that it's Paris. Like literally, only fucking English person that matters is like. Cruncher and um, Sidney Carton, right? Uh, I no. think she had been living in England. She had been, but like she's just like a French expat. And uh, her yeah. Miss creepy Cross cobbler English, dad. And um, Mr. Laurie's English. Yeah, but he's just the whole time he's like, oh, Tellison's Bank is very... Uh, I'm a man know. of business. I can't do anything else but do business. I one, wish I had a wife one day, but I have to scriven for 26 hours a day. I was too busy taking care of business and working overtime. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to open my beer, because so, it can go anywhere, because uh, this book... I mean, it's technically not about cats, but if it was, it would be called <laughs> A Tale of Two Kitties by KCBC. Oh Literally about this book. Uh, uh, double D-H Hazy IPA. KCBC has been on the run of naming their beers after things, especially like books and movies and stuff like that. Like I have a can of... Tomorrow never pies in the fridge for when we get around to doing a James Bond book. Hopefully we can do that soon. And also I saw one very recently at the store called Reservoir Frogs. 
I had that the other day. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I can't. This is not going to work for anything. No, I didn't think it would either. So I didn't. I didn't pick up a can. But anything about a swamp? Yeah, a book about swamps. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of like a split <laughs> frog. Anyway, this is a IPA with uh, Citra, Rohaka, Strava, and I really can't see that. And Nelson, something like that. Uh so anyway, it's pretty good. Yep, it's an IPA. No kitties were harmed making this beer. I think. Pussy move. <laughs> no, it literally does have a guillotine. Cats dressed in like old, old timey costumes, and there's a guillotine in the back. <coughs> so, so that's why I had to use this. <laughs> it, it makes sense. It's perfect, you know. So anyway, then, then sort of there's this reu. Uh, they reunite, you know, the re- the re- uh, reunification of Lucy and Doctor Manette, and then that's in 1775. And then it jumps to five years later when a man named Charles Darnay is on trial back in England for being a spy. And you're like, where the fuck did this come from? Why do I care about any of this? Uh, I just want to add, you and think I never that did. at the start of every chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. There are many, many chapters like, what is happening? What does it have to do with yeah. anything? And I think it's because of the way the chapters are probably published that you needed to like have a cliffhanger kind of thing. But you know, it's like oh, I right, needed no. a I needed a previously on at the beginning of each chapter because I was sometimes like what? <laughs> last time on a tale of two cities <laughs> written before a live studio audience. <laughs> There's like a laugh track. Like, That's not Charles Darnay. That's Charles Darnay, and like Sidney Carton comes in with his like lines, like waka waka, and they're just like ah, <laughs> and they're like oh, there he goes again. It's like what's up, bitches? Did I do that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So anyway, um, treason. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy you've never heard that of. Guillotine is three hundred mile horsepower. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> This, yeah, this guy you've never heard of named Charles Darnay is on trial, and you don't care at all, but I guess it's important. <laughs> Turns out it was. Um, he's on trial for being a spy, for, for passing secrets to France, though he, he works for Tilson's Bank. Who must banks, have sponsored this book? Yeah, they employed yeah. every one of the characters. You know what? That's actually possible, now that you mention it. It's very possible that they, that they gave that they provided the advance for Charles Dickens to write this. <laughs> it's where men of it also, business do banking. It also reminded me just the fact that you know that the bank was the fine, upstanding like institution that was helping everyone out at this time. And it's like, have you met banks? So just the fact that the bank is kind of like a hero in all of this reminds me a lot of Mary Poppins, where they work for a <laughs> bank and the bank is like the good, good, good thing that is like you know it saves for the future. Anyway, I just I don't know why I thought of. Old British people and Mary Poppins, but there's a lot of weird shit in both of these. <laughs> Very true. Oh yeah. So the guy's on trial, and he's for passing. Charles Darnay is on trial for possibly passing secrets to the French, but he gets acquitted because the other guy looks just like him. Just the because law was no, different back then. There, it's, it's, an, it's an incredible episode of Law and Order here. The lawyer, his defense attorney, goes to the one of the witnesses. He's like, I saw him, and he's like. Are you sure you saw him? Like, yes, of course. Like, are you sure it wasn't a guy that just kind of looked like him, like my associate here, <laughs> like this guy, junior partner, and it's Sidney Carton, who's like hungover probably because he's a drunk mess. No judgment. 
And then he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> so real That's cool. That's the <laughs> same guy. And he's like, yeah, check out my podcast. And then they are like, oh, my God, it might be. All right. And then the judge's like, this whole court's out of order. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing ever. Like, Those two guys look kind of similar, I guess. So I guess you didn't do it. <laughs> And he, like, well, he just he just casts reasonable doubt on this man's uh, testimony. It's like, how can you tell? You can't even tell these two guys apart in broad daylight and powdered wigs and shit. How are you going to know them in the you know the dead of night while they're smuggling things in their buttholes across the channel? And he's like, oh, who's yeah? I don't know what he was. I said he was on trial for spying, but like for what? For France? I bet the standard was pretty fucking low. Because this is a time when England was still like executing children for theft. <laughs> so, you know, like, like, he went over there and he didn't sing God Save the Queen every morning or whatever the fuck it is. So, God he's save the king. Well, that's true. Yeah, the book was written when there was a queen. But, they, um, so fuck him. He's a, he's a frog bastard. We gotta kill him. <laughs> so, was... funny thing how like spies are like a part of this book because back during the French Revolution, People really thought that people not in France, or probably some people in France do really believe that the French Revolution wasn't caused by just the like massive, uh, just terribleness of the of the French monarchy and the French Outside old agitators. old regime. That it was well, actually no, caused by spies, trails. also known as the Illuminati. And in fact, according to a book I read, so they were right. According to a book I read, George Washington, because he was president in 1789 and throughout this period, believed that all the chaos in France was actually being caused by the Illuminati. <laughs> that doesn't make any president. sense. I've read Dan Brown. He was in the Illuminati. <laughs> Inceptioned. Everyone knows, though, it was the early efforts to turn the frogs gay that caused the French Revolution, Nate. Mm. True. It, mm. just, it just made the frogs angry. <laughs> Alex Jones was right. Because, you know, French people are frogs. Okay, never mind. I get uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so he's on trial. He gets acquitted. And they're like, hey, that's great. Now I can get back to work at Tilson's Bank. And <laughs> so he does. And then stuff happens. And then... And then he's just like, goes back to being a shitty teller. It's <laughs> like, nope, that's the wrong form. Back of the line. <laughs> it's just I wish I was a fucking spy. <laughs> that is so cooler. much more fucking fun than this. Do you know how much carbon paper ink I get on my hands at the end of the day? <laughs> so while he's working, he's working. So he goes back to Telson's bank and he works there for a while. And then uh, months later, I don't know, he goes back to France and he visits... I thought it was a flashback. His wait, wait, uncle did, was it a flashback? Did Darnay actually work at the bank? Yeah, Carton worked at the bank. No, he did. No, Darnay worked at the bank. Carton's a lawyer. Oh fuck! All right, you know I, they looked so similar. I got confused. <laughs> no, who who uh, was the head? Which one was the head lawyer? His name was Striver. Striver. Striver was the head lawyer, like and Carton was his like uh, alcoholic assistant. Yeah, who did all the work while that guy just got fatter by the second? Yeah, he just he every time Sydney filled out another paper. Uh, Striver that guy gained ate four it. pounds. He, he for every paper, every uh, you know writ that Sydney filled out, uh, that other guy would eat a side of beef because <laughs> he's just this big fat guy, which means he was hundred and sixty pounds because it's seventeen seventy five. But they do there was a part later on when the guy's like, I think I'm going to ask Lucy to marry me. And he's like, I don't know, man. You're a fat bastard. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> and old. He's, he's fat and old. He's like thirty. <laughs> was he? Old? I thought he was. I thought he was actually like older. I, I maybe I'm getting confused, but it it does say like. What do you mean? He said, slamming down a plump fist. <laughs> and <laughs> then he eating slept, it. When he just goes, boing. <laughs> what? Pray tell, sir, he said, blubberly. Uh, but it is, uh, he's, he's a big fat guy. And does he matter in the book? No. So I thought when he is that scene of him in France, where they never mention that it's him, but you kind of know that it's him. He just called the nephew. I thought that was like a flashback to like why he left, or maybe he did go back. Oh, I mean, like Charles Darnay. I can't. Darnay. No, okay, I don't really know either. But let's just say this scene happens at some point where yes. Charles <laughs> Darnay is back in France. I, I think it's not a flashback because of the the dude who killed with the kid and shit. Like that's yeah, oh, timeline wise, really it makes sense. Thing. Okay, yeah. So he sense. goes yeah. back to France, and he happens to meet with his uncle. The Marquis de, de Grumpy, <laughs> uh, who is like a, a, a caricature of all of like the worst of the nobility. Comically evil. Comically evil. He first he rides. He tells his driver to drive the carriage as quickly as possible, which runs over a little kid and kills him. And uh, uh, the Marquis is just sad that he's got blood on the wheels. And then, actually, I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> the Marquis uh, de Sade is. No, he like, says this guy is kind of over the top, don't you think? That key, don't, don't waste that dead kid. <laughs> Marquis de Sade. Was <laughs> but Get all those turds in him. <laughs> <laughs> I could put some more in his mouth. I uh, know, but the uh, Marquis de whatever, so like that, uh, you know, Nevermore. He goes. Um, you could have hurt my horse with your fucking dead kid. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> fucking asshole. And then he's like, ah. Oh, Quit being a bitch about it. Oh, he's he is. It, it, there were there were like Nazi guards who were like that guy is a bit, a little, a bit little over much. the top. No it's one's that bad. Dick. But it's you know it's it's indicative of the whole no. society they live in of these horrible uh, rich people and these peasants who are basically all just slaves to the machine. They're they're serfs. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Surfs uh, up. This is Slave to the Machine by Finback in collaboration with I guess it's not a beer company. It's uh they make shirts. The machinist company. They make shirts or something. The tool shit. and die firm. It's called Permanent Hangover though, so I thought it was a beer company and it turns out it's not. But they do make a shirt called The Berenstein Bears Get Totally Fucked Up in the Woods, and that's just the shirt, and that's pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, but this is a, I don't know, it's probably a fucking IPA. Almost certainly. Or a crispy boy. Yeah. Oh, it's a IPA, just a regular, dry hopped with Simcoe and Calypso. I can't fucking see it. It's so tiny. And I don't know how strong it is either. I can't see anything. It's really scary that the amount of us on this podcast that need bifocals now. <laughs> well, at least <laughs> watching you read like, that can. Tiny white text shit. It's, it's all that reading we do. But I just find it funny, like, I mean, because we, we have different eyes, but you're holding it as far away from you as you can to read it, and that somehow makes if it I, easier. If I get closer, it's all blurry, because my eyes are garbage holes. My eyes are also garbage, but only past where I could reach. <laughs> so is it good? Yeah, it's actually uh, it's actually quite bitter. It's all the machinery they put into it. Yeah, the picture is actually kind of funny. Uh, it's called Slave to the Machine, and it's... Employee of the month every month, and it's Shamu, who doesn't look very thrilled. 
but he's holding a tiny beer. Oh, no. <laughs> Jesus, well, Dave. Shamu's, Shamu's dead, isn't he? Uh, I think they stopped doing the orcas after but that I mean, documentary dead, came out. Right. Oh, I Wasn't that the movie where Shaq was a genie? No, that's Kazam. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, if you want to support the, these beers... <laughs> are brought to us by our supporters over at Patreon. If you want to support the podcast, you could do that by uh, giving us money. And we will not be like the first estate. <laughs> we will... We won't be like the second estate. I mean, was there a good estate? The third the one was... column? They fourth turned estate. out to not be good, too. Was that, what was that one? The fourth estate was journalism. The fourth estate is journalism, yeah. Oh, uh, no. We're not doing that. And the fifth estate, comedy... <laughs> Is that right, or is that... Uh, no, or, that's uh, just... I mean, it wasn't a thing back during the French Revolution. Because the Fifth Estate was secret Nazis or something, always. Uh, wasn't that a movie with fucking Benedict Cumberbatch? What was that? When he played the, the Looky Leaks guy? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Julian Assange, yeah, the Fifth Estate. Was, the last hour was very boring, because he just slept in a closet in the Ecuadorian embassy. Or <laughs> uh, and anyway, if you want to support the podcast, you can ever patreon.com, so Drunk Guys Book Club, where you can get early access to episodes, vote in our monthly book poll, get shouted out, join us for our live episodes, get exclusive content, get stuff mailed to you, get discounts and things, and just know that you are being a patron of the arts, like the first estate was, um, but, but you could do it without the guilt of you know feudalism. Or you could support the podcast by heading over uh, mm. to wherever you're listening. The first estate was the clergy. Michael. Oh, fuck. Well, don't fuck the boys. Um, <laughs> not these three old men, these old men that are, you're listening to. Well, Nate is bringing the average up. But uh, you could head on <laughs> the second estate. Excuse me. You could help us out by leaving is, a review yes. uh, wherever you're listening and just make it five stars. One for every estate plus a few extras because none of us remember that year in uh, sophomore year of high school geography and history. So who gives a fuck? None of us remember, Nate. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't either. I was there. <laughs> Diggins got a lot of the I details I know the wrong. first estate was Rhode Island, or was it Delaware? <laughs> <laughs> it's Delaware. Delaware. Is the first right. estate. <laughs> <laughs> That's a quality dad joke. Uh, <laughs> so, speaking, okay. uh, speaking of dad jokes, did you hear that... Uh, Old McDonald's farm was purchased by Purdue, but they kept him on. He's the CIEIO. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Nate knew Old McDonald too when he was still young. He was just McDonald. I knew when he was young, McDonald. It's <laughs> <was> just McDonald. <laughs> it's Norm McDonald. <laughs> so the Marquis de Evermont, first he runs over. A child with his carriage, and then he like throws a coin at the father, who's like, like the <laughs> Buy crying a new one, father. <laughs> Here's a coin, and as he and For as the troubles. carriage is driving away, the coin gets flung back into the carriage. It's like I don't want your dirty money. Uh, and then later, he has dinner with his nephew, who spoiler is Charles Darnay, and Charles Darnay is in fact his the Marquis' heir. So. Charles Darnay, who goes by Darnay because it's like his mom's maiden name, and it's and it's the anglicized version of it because it's you know a fucking dumb French name that like Dalinus or whatever the fuck it was really good. yeah it was something Frencher but not that much Frencher and I don't know why they changed it I guess they were stupider back then well because he wasn't cool enough to be called Chucky D so they <laughs> call him, he's, he's Chuck D and he becomes a public enemy later in the book actually <laughs> he does yeah. <laughs> Takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Uh, so, 
he goes there and he 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 goes into a speech that um he he had to know it wasn't going to be successful, right? There's no way like Chuck D was like, "Listen, I'm going to convince this guy, this 60-year-old." Did you ever think that maybe you're kind of a dickhead? Yeah, do you think that everything <laughs> you do is wrong? It it, it 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 kind of came off as a Charles Darnay just did his first semester at college, and he's coming back to tell his parents how they're assholes because they're, you know, boomers. <laughs> he, just, he just learned about colonization, and he's very upset. I'm just like post, post-colonialism. post <laughs> 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 And he goes like, dude, what's wrong with you? And I found, there's actually a good quote um, where he's like, it's, it's kind of not cool. Well, do you, like, mean the, do you mean the where the marquee says this is the marquee's speech? Well, yeah. So Charles Charles Darnay is or Charles Charles D is like we've done bad things, and then the guy's like, "Sir, oh no, sir, sir, we have done wrong, and we are reaping the fruits of wrong," is what Charles Darnay says. And then the guy says, "We have done wrong." Our family, our honorable family, whose honor is so much account, who is of so much account to both of us in such different ways, even if my even in my father's time, we did a world of wrong, injuring every human creature who came between us and our pleasure, whatever it was. Why need I speak of my father's time when it is equally yours? Can I separate my father's twin brother, joint inheritor, blah 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 blah? And he's like, and uh, and so the guy's like, dude, like, shit's a fuck up, <laughs> you fucking. What do you think? Pay for that wig. <laughs> what, yeah. You want to go make your own breeches? Shut the... You are a part of this. And he's like, I, just, I don't want to do it anymore. And so they go back and forth. And then the guy says, uh, one of the quickest uh, acting uh, bits of foreshadowing I've ever seen is the guy goes, I will die perpetuating the system under which I have lived. <laughs> he he's said, calling a shot. <laughs> three seconds before he gets killed. <laughs> And but all the while, I did have a real question. Um, all the while, he is um, doing snuff, right? Is that the shit you snuff? You like shove up your nose, yeah. right? Yeah. And he's he's constantly just like he's pounding snuff. And I thought that line, "I will die perpetuating the system under which I," it's a little too on the nose for a guy who is snorting things horrendous, like outrageous amounts of snuff. It's like a. Rec- infinite recursion thing of, of nose jokes happening at once. It's like impressive that Charles Darwin, uh, not Charles Darwin, Charles Dickens did that there. Well, later or, on, it's kind of like I've a taken too many English, bo- English classes. <laughs> it is like a snuff film. <laughs> the Marquis also says, repression is the only lasting philosophy. The dark deference of fear and slavery will keep the dogs obedient to the whip. So, yeah, he's... um. He is living evil. life and loving it. He is the embodiment of live, laugh, love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he goes, uh, it's better to be a rational creature and accept your natural destiny. And that's his, uh, his attitude. He's like, oh, why rock the boat? Excuse me. Why rock the yacht? I'm rich. This is great. And then that night, that kid's father breaks into the house and kills the Marquis. Gaspard. Murders him. And he, Gaspard. and he leaves a note. He says, it wasn't me. No, he says, he says something like, drive me to my tomb really fast. I hate red lights. And, um, and then signed Jacques. And they're like, oh, fuck, that doesn't narrow anything down in Paris. 
thank goodness it wasn't Pierre. That would have been. <laughs> and uh, then you're like, oh, well, that was quick because it's literally like six paragraphs after, which in which in Dickensian terms, six paragraphs is nothing. Eleven uh, pages. But six paragraphs after the guy goes, I will die upholding this system. He dies upholding that system. <laughs> Minutes later. Instant gratification. Yeah. And then... It's, it's the same chapter. It doesn't even... It's like the end of the chapter. Yep, exactly. And then it jumps back to Paris where Carton says... Back to how London? Much, back to London. Sorry. Yes, that's what I meant. Back to London where Carton says he's going to marry Lucy, but he's like... But then he decides that, oh, no, Lucy won't... Uh, Lucy's not going to have me. I guess that just won't work out. She's just too hot for me. I guess. Because he's she's just an too alcoholic pe- slob. And she's yeah. just too pure and innocent. But he vows that he's going to like help her out. He's like, I'm, I'm there for you. When the rain That's going to be pour. important later. Um, and instead, Charles... He says, I will die for you and your family or something like that. Uh, she's like, it's really direct. a little bit strong, man. You were, I mean, you were a guy I know's assistant lawyer once. <laughs> I know you notarized some shit for me. This but like, is the third really... time we've spoken. <laughs> so, okay, I'm so glad you said that you would die for me and my family, but are you able to just uh, add this amendment to my will? Uh, or do I need to like pay? Does a retainer cover that? And like, <laughs> it's like she doesn't give, she's like, but, well, let me say, she speaks like every other fucking character does in 1800s literature. Where they're like, oh, no, pray tell, you are so wonderful. How could I ever say that? Like, they're just, like, obsequious almost. Mm. And, like, I would never want you to think that I thought less of you if you were thinking. Like, what is happening? And and they decide to just be best friends, and he's permanently friend-zoned <laughs> for the rest of the book. He's like, this is cool. He is but one of um, Maybe. almost all the characters that say they're going to marry her. Maybe... Maybe one night I could sub in for Charles. <laughs> there is a line much they do later. Look very similar. He's like, listen, there is there is a line later when because I, I don't even remember them having like a fight, Charles and Sydney. But there's a part where Sydney's like, listen, man, I'm so sorry about all that shit. And Charles is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, they and, didn't have a fight. He, I think he's just he's just a fucking sloppy drunk. And he just goes like, "What are your?" He's like, "We are friends." Or like, uh, no, he says, uh, "Mr. Darnay, I wish we might be friends." And he goes, uh, "We are friend already friends. I hope He's like, you are good enough to say so as a fashion of speech, but I don't mean any fashion of speech. Indeed, when I say I wish we might be friends, I scarcely mean quite that either." And you know, the next line was, "What are your thoughts on swapping?" And. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about Eiffel Tower? And I know you're from, uh, you know, you're over there. <laughs> what if I move back and forth really fast and she thinks I'm you? <laughs> we like throw your voice. It could be like a <laughs> Scooby-Doo plot. <laughs> but everybody wants to fuck her. So Darnay. Because she's the only female character that's not uh, the old, the, the governess. Uh, and is who poor. You f- who you forget about every time she, she's in the book. You're like, is she still here? Uh, and then the Madame Defarge we meet later. We probably have why Charles now adult Lucy still needs a governess. I don't know. Charles Her Dickens f- says about the governess Miss Pross, like she was devoted to her in the way that ugly things are often devoted to pretty things. Like, 
Damn, son. She was a grenade. (laughs) (laughs) A wingman would have handled her well. (laughs) And and we didn't mention uh, Defarge, Madame Defarge. We'll get to her at some point. She's kind of a big deal. Oh, yeah, she is. Um, But anyway, so Darnay, instead, Charles Darnay, who is rich but is pretending he, but is just keeping it secret that he's actually the heir to the Marquis and is technically super rich and, and French nobility and stuff like that. He's, he's just Charles Darnay who works for Telson's bank. He asks the doctor, Dr. Manet, Dr. Manette, sorry, Manet, Manet, whatever, Dr. Manet to, if he can marry his daughter. And he says, yes. And so, but he says, Oh, but I have a secret to tell you, but Oh wait, don't tell me until the day of the wedding. And it must stay a secret (laughs) even after that. What Which a fucking weird. Listen, it, I want you to marry my daughter, but don't tell me the dark secret till after it's too late for me to do anything about it. <laughs> a fucking terrible father. <laughs> I'm just gonna go make some ladies' shoes and sniff them later. Also, he by now he is better, and he's back to being a doctor and not a shoemaker because he for, he remembered how to do doctoring. It was Although, the same, it was the same amount of education back then. In 1780, <laughs> there wasn't a big difference between those two things. He was actually a podiatrist. <laughs> The Venn diagram of <laughs> things. Same tools. I can't make a shoe. I don't have any leeches. <laughs> <laughs> I could cobble together some intestines for you. Uh, so they get married, but when um, Darnay tells Dr. Manette the secret, he becomes very agitated for a few weeks and makes more shoes, but then gets over it. He Must gets fap. <laughs> He goes into a foot craze, and he gets he gets preposterously foot loose. And <laughs> <laughs> but but then they hide it from the daughter for like a yeah. week and a half, and then for like, like a long time. Your dad's just making shoes again. You know how he is. <laughs> I think it's still secret. Fast forward in 1792 when Darnay goes back to Paris to rescue the old the other dude. I think Where? it's still secret from Lucy. That he's where, actually still the. Where monkey. were they? What were they doing with these shoes? Were they like smug? It was like a prison movie. They, like every day, someone leaves with one shoe and they shake it out of their pants leg. The guys making shoes onto the ground in the prison yard. I mean, he's, like, if he's sick for a little while, he couldn't possibly make that many shoes. I think they invented the like throwing shoes over the telephone wires. Like we got to get rid of these fucking things, and they're just tossing them out. And I got landed on that lamp post. I fucking just go, and they just leave it there. And then drug dealers like that's a good place to hang out, but he's just making shoes. And then they don't tell Lucy because because um, she's oh too my God. innocent and dumb. This book is the prototype. It was it was the for I love Lucy because it's what every character thinks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they don't tell her. And then someone else is like, "Did you tell her?" And like, "No." I'm like, thank goodness you didn't. That's a mercy. Her tiny not, woman brain couldn't her handle silly sadness. little brain. It can't. Yeah, she is just incapable. She is of everything. painfully childlike uh, for every every time she talks. I mean, she had a rough life. Got to give her that. Her dad is just a shoe guy, which is. I'm not sure if it's worse than a foot guy, but it's it's, <laughs> it's up there. Her mom died somehow the moment you know, before she was even born because the mom's not even in the plot. <laughs> And both of my amazing. parents died before I was born. <laughs> I was born an or- orphan. 
And she then has, she's a French person who has to live off of English food. Like that must have been rough. And every single man just like abandons his family to try to fuck her from birth, presumably. They didn't say it didn't happen. Yeah, that's yeah, true. She is the titular tale of big titties. They do say she has a nice figure. Chucky D says that to us. <laughs> so she was a little short. She had a nice figure, and she was blonde. And they're like, nice. Did they have the term uh, pog yet? Uh, I don't think they did, no. I don't think they did. No. Nate? You know that one, right? He's going to pretend he doesn't. <laughs> uh, so let's go back to... <laughs> What? Pogs? I used to play with them back when I was in my 50s. Uh, so, remember those things? Pogs? Oh, yeah. I do, yeah. All right, so more time passes, and then... Uh, there's a lot of time jumps. There are. more. So it probably was, yeah. This was probably between the publications of the how, when it was uh, printed. But it, was every, it was coming out weekly, so it's not like it was like, you know, oh, next year we'll return. Well, back but, then, you know, you never know if you're going to die of tuberculosis before the next one, so. <laughs> it's true. But so it's, more, more time passes, and they have a daughter named Little Lucy. So creative. Uh, and then... So and the they also have female... a, a son that dies, and he does that creepy thing that they do in old books. They talk like old people. He's like, goodbye, mother and father. Kiss sister for me. I'm going away now. He's <laughs> like, oh no, go to your room in hell. No, uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of the rare female juniors I've ever heard of. You know, yeah, like, it is odd. It's like, odd. Oh, you just named her the same thing. You couldn't come up with a, like a third name for a woman character. Not even like a variant, like Lucille or something like that. Like, there was nothing. <laughs> little little Lucy. Charlene, they could have done like, <laughs> like a variant on one of their names. No. Uh, meanwhile, the French Revolution begins. Oh, uh, well, it... we skipped a very important, famous passage with when we actually meet the Defarges, or like maybe oh, it's not the first right, time we yeah. meet them. Do you want to talk about that scene, Nate? Go I'm ahead. gonna interrupt you with a beer. All right. Nope. Go ahead. So, do you know what I'm talking about with the barrel of wine? Yeah, the, yes, the barrel right. breaks, and they're like, this is symbolic of all the blood. Well, they, the barrel breaks, and all the people are so impoverished and so, uh, you know, so they're thirsty, but not in the way Sydney's thirsty. They're so <laughs> uh, just famished and, and broken that they're literally drinking out of puddles in the cobblestone this well, wine. It's free wine. I mean, I, I would think the French would be like, man, this is too much work, and then they will just... <laughs> Not do it. Uh, so he, they... The French people will have a full-blown fucking revolution every time someone suggests they do more work. So they they work to stuff, <laughs> but only the stuff they really want to. <laughs> Fair enough. But a, a barrel of wine falls off. And this is one of those chapters where you're like, is this the same book? And uh, I forgot what the name of that chapter is, but it, I should have known. Stop whining. <laughs> So I'm trying to find the name of this uh, chapter about the fucking wine. It's the San Antoine. Is that the name of the chapter? Isn't it? I don't know. Is it called the San Antoine? It might be. I, I don't. I don't actually. Um, I mean, a lot of the chapters are like these really evocative. Like, what is that? Like the Gorgon's head, and uh, what the one that sounds like a name of a fucking um, 
that Streetlight Manifesto song. It's like the footsteps die out forever or something like that. Yeah, that's the, the last. The last chapter is called "The Footsteps Die Out Forever." Uh, anyway, there's one, there's a chapter where a, a barrel. It's of called wine. the wine shop. No, oh, that's not as oh, fun. Yeah, that's it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck it. Evocative. Um, some are better than others. Like you can't be. You can't can't hit them all. So a uh, barrel falls out, and you know what's in this put in barrels? And is uh, the name of the dynasty the Bourbons? And uh, so this is Founders KBS, but a version I've not had before, the chocolate cherry version. And it is a 11.6% alcohol stout aged in bourbon barrels. Excuse me. Bourbon barrel. Uh, and it is uh, made by Founders. And I'm going to put it into my body. I wouldn't say it's revolutionarily good, but it is very good. And if I drink enough of this uh, when I have horrible shits tomorrow, it'll be a reign of terror. <laughs> <laughs> that's damn good. Oh, my God. That's that's delicious. Oh, I just got to figure out how to embezzle more money from the account my wife monitors <laughs> to buy more of this. Really you good. mean more money from patrons? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Like, we never use that money. I mean, I mean, patrons, that's what's literally we are, we are technically <laughs> buying beer with it, but we're just holding on to it. We're, we're, we're saving for a rainy day, rain of terror day. I might be buying a house, so I have to like start not buying expensive beers. What's more important? So, there's the, the barrel falls off and it breaks, and all the French people are like, Fuck it, I'm not working anymore. And they're like, No one expected you to, it's France. And they go and they just start scooping up the wine in their hands, and everyone's disgusting. and the wine shop guy is like, whatever the fuck that word is. He's like, I don't care. And then um, his wife sits there, and she's not old, but she just knits anyway. And she's just knitting. There's nothing else to do. It's 1785. She's just knitting ferociously. And every time, and then she just sits there and doesn't say shit to anybody. And you're like, oh, do these characters matter? And yes, they will. Just give it 300 pages. And uh, and those are the Defarges, or how the fuck... How would you actually say that, French, French fully? That's it. Defarge? Defarge. It sounds like a, a Dutch guy talking about uh, sharding. He had oh, Defarge. You made, you made Defarge <laughs> in your pants? <laughs> he made Defarge. Oh, man, I made Defarge in the red light district. It was very good. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I paid her extra for Defarge. <laughs> Oh, God. Nate, help us out. I don't know what the fuck is happening right now. So, anyway, they talk about, essentially, this brewing conspiracy where everyone is named Jacques, and clearly they just hate the The conspiracy of France. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's where this comes from, where where that idea that all these conspiracies is named from Jacques. That's from this book. So, anyway, um, they are like, they just hate the nobility. That's going to come back later because, back to the other part we're about to talk about, it's... Paris, it's 1789, and the Defarges literally lead the mob to attack the Bastille, where they uh, where they storm the Bastille, and all of the few remaining guards and, and, and prisoners. Prisoners are left free. There's only a few of them. The guards are all killed. It was only a few of them. She cuts off a dude's head. It was one of the, uh, you know, sort of starting moments of the French Revolution. It is. It is often given as the starting date. You know, historians. It's hard to know exactly when 
big trends start or stop. So, you know, things are not very neat. But this is one of those, like, like America, we're like, ah, the 4th of July. This is the same thing, but it's, but it's France, so they took their time. It's the 14th, the 14th of July, July. <laughs> and it's 13 years later. <laughs> <laughs> they had something to do. They're like, no, 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 we must have all of this wine first, and then I will see my mistress, and then I will do it. And one of the things that happened is, is Defar- Monsieur Defarge goes to 105 North Tower and finds the and looks in the cell formerly occupied by Dr. Manette. And he searches around in there and finds a parchment hidden behind a stone with a story that you're going to hear later of, of just like stuff. You don't hear about what's, in the, what's on the parchment right now. Um, but he's, he says that he finds it as turds. Yep, and then it jumps forward again to 1792, and then boom! Suddenly, like they've been killing people for a few years now. It's and the now terror. A lot of the French Revolution has happened. I mean, a lot of the big stuff in the French Revolution has happened already. But now it's 1792, and you hear that oh, the French king has been you know he's had his head chopped off, and it's just like a kind of a throwaway line. And now you only get and now. Uh, so it's 1792, and Charles Darnay, he's hard at work at Tilson's Bank, where he gets a note, but he's still nobody He nobody at Tilson's Bank knows that he is the Marquis. And he gets a note, and the note says, this well, is to the, the Marquis, uh, this is from your old servant, they've got me now, because uh, they've got me now, help, I'm in trouble, please come rescue me. And so he does. Well, he was working at uh, Telson's Bank, which is all about business, which is why they, they knew him by the different nickname of the Biz Marquis. <laughs> no? <laughs> Nate doesn't know who that is. It's too new for him. <laughs> that newfangled rap music. No, no. It's that song. Uh, if he, something about Don't just, help him. Don't help need him, a friend, Jimmy. Something about like, I'll just need, all I need You've got a, a friend, friend in me. He's Googling. It's not it. <laughs> it's by Randy Newman. <laughs> was Bismarck Not key. it. <laughs> You've got what I need. Yes, Could that's the one. say he's just a friend or something like that? Where he is actually dressed as a French noble person in the video. Is that right? Have you never seen it? He's got like a fucking piano with like the powdered wig on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yes, really, really weird. <laughs> He was the clown, the clown prince of rap. Was the Bismarcky, who just died like a year or two ago. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and now he's alone again. Naturally, his other song that he got the shit suit out of him for it ended his career. And then his album after that, it was called "All Samples Cleared" or something like that. Yeah, it's him dressed <laughs> as a judge. <laughs> you know the song "Alone Again" by Gilbert O'Sullivan. It's fucking like Walgreens song. <laughs> it's from the seventies. Bismarcky sampled it when the law was kind of unclear or unsettled. And it's just the same fucking background music and him singing on top of it. And he got his shit suit in by uh, you know, Gilbert O'Sullivan. And he's like, my parents named me after those fucking guys. I will have my vengeance. <laughs> oh, God. They, did they? That, they I mean, his name was Gilbert O'Sullivan. How yeah, did they do that? To, I mean, if he yeah. chose that name, then he's a real asshole. But... Oh my god, that guy, Gilbert O'Sullivan. Oh no, that's not even his real name. His name is Ray Ray O'Sullivan. He is sixty. He chose Gilbert. (laughs) Anyway, 
fucking Bismarck. He rest in power, King. Uh, so <laughs> Charles Darnay, who is gonna decides that he's gonna go back to France to rescue his old the servant of the old Marquis, the one the one guy who was actually still cool. He decides to go back, but he's gonna go, and he doesn't tell. He writes a letter to Lucy and to uh, Lori that he's gonna that he's gonna he has to go to Paris, but he doesn't say why because he's still keeping it secret from them that he's the Marquis. So he goes there and he goes to France, and because it was 1792, it takes forever. You know, it takes days and days of travel. And then he eventually, somebody, when he's back and when he's in France, but he's not yet to Paris, he gets recognized, who sends some guards from the new, like, this is now during the Reign of Terror. He must be the most recognizable man in the world, because this keeps happening to him, and it's the olden times when you saw someone once, and then maybe you probably never saw them again. Uh, And so guards, like, take it, they, they recognize him right away, and then they bring him to Paris, where he gets arrested. And this is where... Uh, uh, Charles Dickens really like sh- shows how much he really doesn't like the French Revolution, or re- especially this Reign of Terror period, because he's like, this is during well, sort of like the the rule of the mob and the Great Fear and stuff like that. Because he's like, all of these guys were drunk and dirty and disgusting, but they had the power; they were in charge now. And so Charles Darnay is thrown in prison for basically being a noble, being one of the, you know, landed gentry. And he's like for being related to him, even though Charles Darnay is like re- kind of renounced all that. I don't think he renounced all the money, but he still was living in England that whole time. But he's like, no, put in prison. And yet somehow Laurie and Lucy come to Paris like right away after that because they find out he is in prison. They were, like, already on their way there. Uh, something like that. And uh, so a, over a year passes with Darnay in prison waiting for his trial. But this wasn't, like, a regular trial in a regular court of law. This trial okay. is going to show be... show trial. This is going to be, yeah, a, a, a definitely a, show, a French Revolution-like show trial, which... It's amazing that they waited that long. Usually people, people that they waited that long to put somebody on trial, that's like the modern legal system. Yeah. Usually usually they'd be put on trial within a day or two and then they would be like, "Oh, guilty." Boom, and then you would go immediately to the guillotine like that day. And this is what was happening in during the during the reign of terror, which literally hundreds of people every day were being quote-unquote sentenced by the for the, by this like show trial, show jury of revolutionaries and then being beheaded. And, and, thou, and during like a short, only about a year, a span of time, maybe like a year and a half or something like that, something like 15,000 people in Paris, just in Paris, were executed just for like nothing. Well, at the, at the very end, the, the, the girl who is uh, also going to get executed with the guy who we'll tell about later is a seamstress. <laughs> She's clearly not anybody. It's just like it, it just it, it was like um, McCarthyism kind of stuff. Like, oh, you know a guy who knows a guy. That's good enough. We and have it was to also purge everything. This is also like score settling, where people oh, would yeah. go. With, they would like, I want my neighbor's land. So what do you do? Is you go to the authorities. You say, Hey, I hear my neighbor was a supporter of the king, and then he gets. 
you know, arrested and executed within a day or two. And they're like, oh, well, that land is up for sale. Looks like I'm going to go get it now. And this is where Defarge comes in. Madame Defarge is all the time she's knitting, she has created some elaborate lady code that she could knit into socks and keep track of who they have scores to settle with. And that's what she's doing. She's like knitting their names. Like, ah, when I have my chance, we're going to kill that fucking guy. Which... And there's another and it, There's woman. an interesting way to look at that. <laughs> there's a and couple there's ways an, to look at that. And there's another woman with them who's just called, is just named The Vengeance. She Honestly, has, that's a really cool name. And it's a very cool name. The reality is because she has in terrible crabs. And so <laughs> <laughs> that's how she gets The Vengeance. It's also the name of a, like a hipster band with eight banjos and a harp. Ugh. Almost certainly. In Brooklyn. So, and, lead, and a lead and rhythm theremin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be so out of tune. <laughs> it would just be impossible to be in tune with each other. Uh, no, no, <laughs> just it's an acquired taste, Nate. Just the need concept to... of a rhythm theremin is... <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot to deal with. <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> the rhythm didgeridoo. Oh. <laughs> That would be easier, actually. The rhythm is one so, note yeah. that lasts for 40 minutes. <laughs> just you just got to have the go on beat, you know? This actually also sounds exactly like the bathroom at every Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay. So another year passes. This is with Darnay now in prison. And there's an entire year. It's like a year and a half, a year and a quarter, something like that. Uh, and then finally, like it just, you know, chapter, chapter goes by, oh, and it's been a year. Uh, and so finally Darnay gets, Charles Darnay gets brought to his trial and he's brought to his trial and they say, he's, he's a dirty noble, but to his defense comes Dr. Manette. And Dr. Manette says, this is a good man. And he's, I, and so Dr. Manette as they like, you know, as a, you know, having spent 18 years in the Bastille. And he goes, uh, think about it. What if the shoe were on the other foot? And they're like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? That's not a saying yet. <laughs> and then he's like, no, no. Quit waiting for the other shoe to drop. And they're like, what? Stop. <laughs> what do <No>. you mean? <laughs> we only speak French. Uh, no. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> So he says, Oh, in like, French, the expression I is, what happens when you get the other onion in your ear? Some stupid shit, probably. <laughs> did, did you notice that the, the people talk, like the French people say, like, fucking bizarre sentences in the book? Like, the, the French characters, like the Defarges and the Jacques, when they're talking, they say some weird shit. They're like, what is the devil doing in that galley? And you're like, well, they're in a fucking wine shop right now. Like, what is happening here? Like apparently, Dickens I did copy just... down one very strange saying that he <laughs> that he included, but it was actually Miss Pross that said it in a later scene. Apparently, I, I, I was like, "This is this." Is, I forget which one it is now, but Dickens apparently had the French character speak in directly translated idioms. Oh God! <laughs> so they don't really make a lot of you sense. You know what? That's comedy right there. That was him because I'm sure the people of London at the time like largely knew a lot of this and they largely knew what the idioms were. And so he, if he just translated them directly into English, that's like just being funny. 
All right, so I'm going to just say it now. I'm just going to, because I'm just going to have, have it out, because like, it's just like literally the only thing I highlighted. Um, this, <laughs> this really weird thing, this really weird uh, uh, saying here. So this is later when Miss Pross is trying to defend the door from Madame Defarge, who's like trying to kill Lucy, even though Lucy is gone. And this is Miss Pross saying like, you'll never get the, you know, you'll over my dead body. But instead of saying over my dead body, she says, if those eyes of yours were bed winches, returned Miss Pross, <laughs> and I was an English four-poster, they shouldn't lose a splinter of me. What? Oh, of course. <laughs> That's yeah. what she said. No, you wicked forward women, I am your match. That's the that's the expression. If those eyes of yours were bedwinches, and I was an English four poster, they shouldn't lose a splinter of me. Yeah, I I, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> that one did not stand the test of time. Uh, let's just say. I think Miss Pross, or whatever the fuck her name was, was already deaf at this point. She didn't know what she was saying <laughs> because she very soon after this becomes deaf. That was just before, actually. Well, she when, no, she does it when she kills. Yeah, she that, said, when she, she said, said that, it's just before. That saying yeah. was just before. Yeah, she says that just, but she's not deaf yet at that point. But she, this she's, is just she's preparing. She's getting ready. <laughs> I already like, uh, don't know what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, the ca- so Dr. Manette is like, I, she, she you know, I am deaf, the revolution. She was like most deaf. <laughs> So Dr. Manette is like, I am the revolution. I was in prison in the Bastille for 18 years for no reason, for like no good reason. And like, please, you know me. I like me. this guy. He's cool. You know me. And this this guy here, Charles Darnay, he's the, you know, the he's my wife, my daughter's husband. <laughs> he's the father of my he's grandchild. My <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I was going to say my I, wife's I something. Him. My wife's husband. He's very progressive. <laughs> We're in a really interesting thruple. We're into taboo <laughs> stuff with my daughter. Where one of us pretends to get stuck in the dryer every so often. <laughs> Don't worry. He's like, please let him go. He's a good man. He moved. He renounced all of the all of the French stuff and moved to England so he could get away from it. Now he hates Jerry Lewis. <laughs> he doesn't watch it ever. <laughs> And so, after this rousing speech by Dr. Manette, the jury votes, and Charles is acquitted. It's like, oh, yay, finally, like, he can go home. And so, he goes home with with, uh, Dr. Manette and Lucy, and then... Minutes well, later, not home. He goes. Well, he goes back, back to else. back to wherever they're staying in Paris, back to like Telson's Bank, probably. <laughs> they had a branch out there. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Yes. Uh, no. Actually, they really did. They really yeah, did have a branch because in, the, in because Mister Laurie, the man of business, is like I better go to Paris and check in on Telson's Bank there with all this revolution going on. I better make sure that they're still the best damn he, bank he, in the whole he world. He was like, I have to go get, collect some paperwork from there. He, like, he, man, he goes there to get some it's shit. It's a war zone, dude. Like, leave the papers. You don't. You don't need them. That the man is like eighty years old, and he's like, that, I must go to the bank. That that guy forsook a life of anything besides work. That's how powerful the British class system was. They're like, listen, you could be poor, or you could be a slave to your your company, 
the machine and not as poor. And they're like, that sounds better. And that's what he chose. Like, that's how fucked up it was. So, like, but I don't think Dickens was commenting on that. I don't think he really was. I, I think he was. No. Was, yeah. So he goes so there and they just like, I, I like back to paper. wherever Lucy's been staying in Paris for the last year. Lucy with Manette and Lori. both Lucy's. Yeah, and little Lucy, exactly. Uh, and so they're like, yay, you're, you're home. We're so happy. And then, knock, knock, knock. There's a knock on the door, and it's the Defarge. It's Mr. Defarge and fucking Adam Defarge and a crowd. And they're like, we're taking you back in. You're under arrest again. Get off my plane. No, that's not what they said. I'm sorry. That's different. Uh, and so he, so he gets arrested again later that day. He's like, for what? He was already acquitted. He's like, this is for even more stuff. I forget what it was. But uh, so they bring him in, and then they hold the trial. They hold a second trial. They don't wait a whole year this time. Just that's how we do days. it. We acquit it, then we hit it. <laughs> they're like, what? That's not a thing. And then they, they accuse him of saying yet. Uh, God. And so now there's a second trial. Second and show trial. This time... It's m- personal. Mr. Defarge. <laughs> Mr. Defarge says, this time, we're going to read the note. Let me Ooh. read to you the note that Dr. Manette left in his cell that I recovered way back in three years ago in 1789. And then it's this whole long chapter... About how in 1757, Dr. Manette, as a much younger man, was out walking at night, and a carriage comes up to him and says, are you Dr. Manette? We, we need you to do some doctoring. And so they like <laughs> bring him to a place, and there's just a woman who is clearly in terrible pain and is completely incoherent and just keeps counting... I forget exactly why she did that. I forget like what that had to do with anything. But anyway, and then she's like, "Oh, they really explained that." And there are these like two brothers. They're clearly aristocrats. And then they're like, "Oh, and I guess we should show you the other guy." And so they go down to the other guy who's like down to the stables. And there's a young, younger-ish man who's clearly been stabbed in the chest with a sword. And he's like, "Yep, he's he's dead, Jim." Uh, but he's not quite dead. Instead, he like tells the story, and Doctor Manette gets this whole story about how <laughs> I have to two, quickly tell my life's tale. <laughs> yeah, so where the two brothers, they're now Marquis. There, you find out they're Marquis Evermont. Uh, his family. They like one of them was in love with this girl, so they like kidnapped her and was raped he in love her. With her or he but then wanted, the, he wanted to bang her. Okay, just wanted to bang her, probably. And then <laughs> they, they raped her though. Oh yeah. And then they raped her, which and then this brother comes to like try and rescue her, but can't but the but the marquis like just stabs him with this they get into a sword fight and then he like but the marquis is better and so he wins and the, the other other kid gets stabbed and dies. Uh and then the woman also dies and then a day, and then, so, because Dr. Manette, because he's such a good doctor, can't help either of them. <laughs> they didn't have any foot injuries, Nate. <laughs> if Pete I, were I had some bone spurs, he'd, he would have been able to help out. I'm not able to relace that punctured lung. <laughs> <laughs> and then, 
a day later, a woman in a with in a child, a woman in a carriage, clearly a rich woman, small child with a small child, shows up at Doctor Manette's door and says, "I was wondering if you know if she had any family I could help out. I feel so bad." Um, and and she like can't really do anything, and he's like, "I don't really know." But then he writes in his letter like, "And I hated them so much that even that." Their descendants for the end of time must be cursed, must, like, we, they should die. And it is clear that Charles Darnay was that little child and he is the son of one of the dudes that raped the woman and killed the, killed the guy and stuff like that. And so after this note, the jury, you know, this is... Well, the, this is also, they, the, at that point, he gets locked up so that he'll never tell anybody what they did. And that's why he was in jail. Yeah. He, so he's in prison so that he can't tell anybody. Yeah. And so, uh, he reads the, so, and that's why he's been in jail for 18, you know, this was 10 years into his imprisonment that he wrote this, but then he was another eight years. Right. He got finally out, got around to doing it, <laughs> which is the, which was now 10 years before this part in the book actually happened. Hmm. Was then another ten years until this book part happens. But anyway, and so after that, after this devastating note was read, the jury this time votes to convict. They vote to have uh, Darnay killed, Darnay executed, as he's guilty common of noble. being related to these shitty people. Yes, which is all it took. Yep, mm-hmm. and so. It looks like, but his execution is going to be for like a year. It's going to be like the next day. And so everyone's very sad. And they, Lori and Sidney Carton hatch a plan, sort of. More like Carton, this is where we, this is where. And Lori is just in town for business. Well, Lori's been there to like help out the Menettes and and stuff like that. Because he's just, that's what he does. He's just a, he's. He's just a dude. Uh, anyway, so this is where... So Sidney Carton is like, aha, I have a plan. And this is where two key points in the plot from earlier are important. This is where Sidney Carton looks, looks just like Charles Darnay and has pledged to die for Lucy because he loves her so much, even though he's been in the friend zone for a really long time at this point. <laughs> And so, what could uh, go wrong? And so, Lori says, "Like, okay, put everybody have the carriage ready because we're going to try and get out of here at exactly two p.m. tomorrow." Sydney, go over to the prison. And so Sydney goes to the prison and like talks to a guard and gets himself in and says, "Oh, I just need to talk to prisoner Darnay." And so he does. And when they get there, he says, "Okay, dude." I'm switching places with you. You're going to pretend to be me. I'm going to pretend to be you. Play it real cool. Yeah. And so give me your clothes. We'll, we're going to switch clothes, and then you're going to pretend to be me and get out. <laughs> but I'm going to stay na- here as you. But while we're naked, I want to do a quick little uh, circle <laughs> jerk. You know, do a little bit. Let's just see. It's you my know, last chance. It's, it's practically a- masturbation because we look so alike. What's that thing called? Like the prospectors on that, like, like you hand pump cart on the fucking uh, train tracks. Oh, yeah. They're going to do no idea what that's called. <laughs> uh, no, 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 it's it's a called. good time. That's uh, what you call it. 
or as uh, Sydney Carton calls it, the "Hey, how are you?" And they go into that. Uh, but then he's like, "All right, get the fuck out of here." Well, I wipe, I wipe my hands on something, and then they go. <laughs> uh, and so I didn't, Nate. They didn't say it didn't happen. And how could they? How could that guy not try it once? He's a he does. Kid. He does fucking. Um, what does he do? He whatever the seventeen fifty seventeen nineties version of of uh, of roofies or like fucking chloroforms him. There's also a part much earlier in the book where you, like Sidney Carton does work for the fat guy. I forgot his name, and it's just Mister Cruncher f- or Mister Striver. Striver, and he's just like Striver laying on the couch, just like complaining about gout or something. And then he's eating, he's eating uh, six rashers of bacon. And then uh, Sidney Carton just works and works till he's really sweaty. And you're like, that's a hand job. Uh, you don't know exactly <laughs> what it was. He's like, he's so sweaty. It's he's really his wrists are tired <laughs> from the scrivening. But he was he's done things. That's he's why he was like Lucy. You can't be with me. I'm broken. I'm a lost boy. So <laughs> prove me wrong, Nate. <laughs> so uh charles like gets out and goes back to the the house in paris and then like they put everyone in the carriage in, at you know right at two o'clock and they get out of there with lucy and laurie and they like you know hightail it out of paris and make a run for the border Meanwhile, miss pross doesn't fit in the carriage i guess she has to wait an hour to get in a different wine cart or whatever it is so she she can't hear them honking at her to get in so it takes no she's not deaf yet so she so miss pross stays behind but in that hour between when 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 uh charles or charles and lucy get away and miss pross is still waiting there madame defarge shows up and she says like and they have this weird thing where technically they can't understand each other because one is speaking French and the other is speaking English, but they have an argument anyway. Do you think they uh, just they did the argument where they speak really loudly and slowly? <laughs> it was like, you are a dumb bitch. And then the, the woman <laughs> says, like, whatever the French equivalent of that is, back to her. <laughs> what would and that so, be? Madame what Defarge, French you you who, who who came, she came <laughs> piece to... Of shit. <laughs> Madame Defarge thinks that Charles Darnay is going to be executed. She gets there to kill Lucy, to kill Lucy and little Lucy, so that all the bloodline does get completely wiped out because that's what it said in the note and, and stuff like that. Very literal. So that's what she should, so she shows up, shows up with a knife and a gun, but a knife and a gun hidden in her dress. So they show up, shows up to the house. And Miss Pross, what she does is she she sees that the, the door is open. She just closes it and pretends that Lucy is still there on the other side of the door. Like, oh, they just and she's like, Don't you can't come in here. You can't come in here. Meanwhile, Lucy's actually gone. And and while you know, this is just like every minute that I can that I wait here, you, you don't know if they're here or not. You just you don't know what to do, and then they can get farther away. So they just kind of like um buying time. And this is where Miss Pross says that completely incoherent, like, thing about the if English If I was a poster. bed and you were a water buffalo, I wouldn't have any eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, English sayings. That makes sense, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so they have a, they actually have a girl fight. Cat fight. They beat the and fuck out of each other. So they have a, they have a cat fight. It's pistol whooping. Because, 
but because Madame Defarge has a gun in her dress, it accidentally goes off and kills her. It shoots off her vagina. <laughs> it doesn't say. Is that how that works? It fell off. Is it, I think it's hard to shoot off a vagina just because of the nature of negative space. Uh, if your aim is true, it can be done. <laughs> she did it. <laughs> anyway, so, so Madame Defarge dies, and Miss Pross is then deaf for the rest of her life, which... That sounds like okay. the most deaf. She is the most deaf character in the book. <laughs> <laughs> but then manages to get away... And then it's ba- and then there's only one chapter left in the book. But where did, did you guys ever? I don't know if you would know this band name, but Madame Defarge. Every time I read that name, all I could hear in my head was that song, "The Rhythm of the Night," by Debarge. The the oh, I don't know who wrote it. <laughs> by Debarge yeah. to the beat of the rhythm of the night. Forget the worries oh, thinking, on your I was mind. Of a different rhythm of the night. So I'm talking like cheesy song from like I, I want to say like 1982. Uh, but I'm like Madame Debarge, and they're just it must it's a reference to that, probably. Absolutely, how could it not be? No, no, Nate doesn't agree. I, th- I thought you were talking about Rhythm of the Night from the 90s. This is a rhythm of the night. That's fucking yeah, it's, it's like Real McCoy or um, La Bouche or something, it's probably which is very French. Yeah, that's literally French. Oh my god. The mouth might have been one of the uh, other conspirators. There was the vengeance, the three Jacques and the mouth. Jacques and the mouth, which I think I've seen that movie. No, <laughs> the bush, eighteen Jacques and the mouth is. It's a little niche, but it's it'll get the job done. Nate, do you know that song "Rhythm of the Night" by Debarge? No. And they played it at your. I know jun- the other they one. They played it at your junior prom, Nate. Come on, you fucking heard this song. <laughs> Oh, God damn it. it was I remember it, yeah. Uh, maybe it's because I worked at a CVS for a year and a half that I heard these ch- fucking cheesy songs that they're like in, in, imprinted on me like a baby duckling. But I hear the first line of it and I could hear the whole rest of it and all I want to do is then just like fix the items in aisle seven because <laughs> that's what my job was. So, okay, there's one last chapter and this is where Sidney Carton pretending to be Charles Darnay actually gets taken to the guillotine on the tumbrel on a tumbrel, which I had to look that up. It's just a cart. I, I feel like yeah, that, that sounds like a name of a thing at like a children's uh, you know pl- party place. So oh, right on the tumbrel, <laughs> 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 but it's it's a, it's a donkey cart basically. And I'm sure in 1859, everybody just knew what that was. It wasn't like oh, of course, a, a tumbrel, weird yeah. or exotic. It was just like oh no. yeah, it's a cart. Um, uh, and so, uh, uh, anyway, and then they, they get to this, like, in, and Sydney is like, oh, I'm, I'm so glad I'm doing this. And then talks to the, the seamstress girl who writes the last line, this long quote about stuff. It's totally <laughs> worth it. <laughs> it I'm going to get hand jobs in the afterlife. No, it's, I go, it's the fucking last line of the book, basically. It's a far, well, far it's better last, thing like, I do. three paragraphs. Well, the last line is, it's a far, far better thing I do. But he That's the one. That's the one I was talking that. about. Yeah, it's a far, far better thing that I do than I've ever done. It is a far, far better rest than I go to, that I go to than I've ever known. Which is how I feel after a really good dump. Uh, but it is. 
like when you had Taco Bell, we all feel like that. Mm. It's a better thing that I do, and it's a better rest. No? Nate's not listening. Yeah. He's pretending to be above this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there you go. Last line. It's a far, far better thing. What? That I do. Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the line, Nate? We can cut that part out. We nope. can pretend we didn't do it. That's nope, fine. It's fine. <laughs> I was just looking for it. Anyway, and then the end, end of the book. So it was a pretty long book, but uh, what did you think? I'm going to be quiet. Well, you, were all, you were all gung-ho for this. I was going to be quiet and let you guys talk because I always talk over you. I was going to shut the fuck up for once. Go ahead, Jimmy. Um, you gave it three I, stars, you I, piece of shit. I gave it three stars. I was debating between three and four. I would say I liked chunks of it. I thought... Mo- I thought chunks of it were were very good. Like I liked basically the whole last quarter of it, and I thought you know there was a lot in there that wasn't good about you know. Uh, I heard somewhere else once that uh, a lot of rev- revolutions are lateral moves at best. Uh, I thought yeah, that gets a that got the point across here. I thought I, I got it. I just felt like it really dragged a lot of the time because I, I know I know it's a classic. I know it's just a personal opinion. I thought it was a good story. I just, I, I hate this style of writing. It's just really hard for me to like latch onto it and read it without being so fucking bored that I could fall asleep. And that's just, you know, as a product of its time and I get it. It's, I don't think it's bad because of that. I just don't like it. And the three stars are because I didn't love it. Not because it's not good. It is good. I just don't ever want to read it again. Because, you know, Dickensian writing is called that because of him. And it is, it's just, it, it can be a slog. That's my, that's my, my two pence. Nathaniel? So I thought that the main plot, I guess you could say, about Charles Darnay and Lucy and Dr. Manette and stuff like that was really pretty interesting. But there was a lot of other stupid shit of all these side characters that I did not care about or understand why they were who Cruncher is until the end. He was just like a servant dude, but he was British. Which guy? Cruncher. Cruncher. He he's he, Cruncher. He, he was the Van Helsing of the book. He did every job. <laughs> he was like a paralegal and a, a grave digger slash corpse retrieval guy, the resurrection man that he that one random chapter was like, I steal dead bodies. And then he's like, ah, oh, that guy wasn't dead. Uh, but he, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they <laughs> pretended to bury the spy. He was just a... Uh, Which is a whole other sub thing that I felt, I read through it and I thought afterwards, I don't remember anything I just read and nor does it really matter by the end of the book. So like those like side things were really annoying. And really, I realized that the, you kind of needed them in the plot just to move the plot along. But did you? They were pretty dumb. Well, you in certain in certain ways, you probably needed them to like. Oh, I had to go do this thing so that that thing could happen. And so they were probably kind of necessary. But mm. I thought they were thought they were stupid. And I, I definitely found myself completely losing interest. It, you know, during those parts. And I'm like, well, do I do I need this? And <laughs> mostly no, but they were there. 
Although, the, you know, just the main story I, I did find pretty interesting. And I did ask myself, like, oh, okay, so this is in the sort of same, same-ish writing style as Jane Eyre. But this is actually way more interesting. Can we read Jane Eyre? What? Have we read Jane Eyre? I honestly can't remember. I don't think so. Yes. Did we? Oh, that's what the... It was last last summer, guys. Like the fat Caribbean woman. (laughs) She was so chonk. Jane Eyre, where she's the... The The hidden wife in the attic book. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, okay. It wasn't that long ago. It actually wasn't. Anyway, it is from <laughs> the same. Year. That was ish. the worst of times. <laughs> <laughs> it was that was from kind of the same time period as this book, not exactly, but close. And it is in the same sort of flowery writing style as yeah. this book. And this was less boring because just more stuff happens. Like there's more the the, the language is flowery, but the plot, but it moves the plot along except for the parts of the plot that you don't care about, which isn't a great way to move the plot along. But there is just a lot of plot and a lot of things that happen. Whereas in Jane Eyre, there just, I mean, there was plot, but just, it was really slow. So, like so it made the of, whole uh, thing like, ugh. I saw, I saw a review of Pride and Prejudice where it's like, this is just a bunch of people going to each other's houses. That's accurate for Jane Austen. <laughs> That's what they do. I would just say it's a bunch of women who go to each other's houses. <laughs> what a lot of there, no, Mr. Mr. Darcy. Darcy. Yeah. I was going to say Mr. Darnay. Like, what the fuck is his name? Uh, yeah, matter. Mr. Darcy is a, is a dude. He is, yes. Anyway, so overall, I did like it. I actually kind of regret that because I was busy this week, I had to kind of rush through this. And I wish I could have taken a little bit, a little bit slower, taken a little bit more time instead of rushing. But at the same time, there were lots of stuff that was stupid and boring and didn't need to be there. So I don't miss rushing through that. So I have a, I have a couple of thoughts, as I always do. I think, you know, first off, I liked it. This is the second time I've read it. The first time I read it, which is about a dozen years ago, I gave it uh, five stars. I was like, this is amazing. I loved it. And this time I was like, yeah, four stars. Because you really need to be able to... It's of a different pacing than what we're used to today. Yeah. Like Dickens is like, oh, it's, it's, it's slow burn. You know, it's like, I'm going to start, I'm just going to start talking about some shit and it's going to get somewhere eventually. And you just need to trust me and go along for the ride. I don't have the patience for that as a reader today. And when I read the book the first time, I was like, you know, two and a half hours a day on the train. So I was, I plowed through this in like three days. Now my pacing is very different. And when you only get to read for 25 minutes at a time, you're like, wow, 25 minutes. Nothing happened. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it's written for an 1859 audience. It's written for people who are going to read the fucking newspaper or whatever it was, the magazine, and read a few chapters this week, you know, at your own pace. And then next week you get the next couple of chapters. And then... And that serial And there weren't that many other things going on it, or that many other books coming out. And stuff like that. Yeah, you could have had every every subscription to this, you know, the Weekly Standard and Lippicots or whatever the fuck the magazines were, and and you can keep up with it because there was no TV, there was nothing there wasn't else to a do. Single CSI show yet? None. We have like nine. All of the naval crime of NCSI unsolved. It was just <laughs> out there. So it's a totally different pace, and I. 
you know, I'm sure if you went back and, you know, went to whatever magazine this was published in and read every book, most of them are not very good. But I think this book is is very good for, you know, a bunch of reasons. Um, the plot is interesting. It has a lot of elements that are now almost, that are cliche, like the secret twins or like the guys that pretend to be twins. Like that's a cliche thing from like soap operas. Was it like the whole point? They look kind of alike, I guess. <laughs> I mean, this is back when like, a, like you know, you, you, the only way you could see a picture of a person was an etching. <laughs> You're like, ah, it's Tim. He's got a face. Question, my question would be, this dude shows up and everyone immediately recognizes him. And is like, oh, that's definitely that guy. And then they switch him in the last minute and everyone's like, I guess that's him. He's been there in that jail for a year. Who knows what he looks like? I mean, part of part of Darwin, uh, not Darwin, fuck, I keep doing that. Dickens is clearly uh, not a fan the of the French. naturally he, selected him. He is not a fan of the French Revolution. No, and, definitely not. And one of the big influences is, is the Thomas Carlyle book on the French Revolution, which is a book I've read parts of for a class once, and I do want to read because it's like the most literary history book I've ever read. Meaning it's probably not very good history, but it's just... A bunch of whiny pores complain in French. No, have you looked into the book? I mean, it's like beautiful. No, I have no idea. It's, it's the first I've ever heard like of this. It's very, very dramatic. Uh, Carlyle was a Scottish uh, historian and um, academic, and he published a book of the French Revolution in like 1830-something, 1835 or something like that, and then revised it in the 1850s. So Darwin, uh, fuck, Dickens. <laughs> Wrong British cunt. Uh, Dickens clearly read that, as I'm sure anybody who was educated did. And he ripped it off relentlessly. Like the whole tone of this book is copied from that Thomas Carlyle book. And I, I did have the thought, because I hate you, Jimmy, this should be a punishment book. No one wants to read a 200-year-old history of the French Revolution. It's like, that could be a good punishment book. <laughs> but I actually want to read it, so I can't do it. Sounds like it'd be a little dry. But it's, it's apparently a... a, a I've, Dramatized. I, I've only read parts of it, but it's, like it's so over the top in its epic, poetic aspirations combined with the history, so it's very... Uh, almost romantic, you know, and, and just the way it's done. So Dickens was influenced by that, and that was a big part of it too. So if you were a person reading this in 1859, like that was like in the air, you know, like that was an illusion that you would have gotten. And then there are apparently other things that Dickens may have ripped off parts of the plot from other other things, whatever. But I think, you know, I, I'm curious about this. When did you guys read? Have you when or or ever did you guys read this book before? Did we say? That? I don't think we said that earlier. I read, never read it. I, I before this week read it in high school. You didn't even like pretend. You never had it for a class, Nate. Never had to read it for a class. No. It hadn't come out yet. <laughs> <laughs> they were still like Charlemagne. <laughs> <laughs> they were called the Gauls back in my day. <laughs> This is one of those books we were supposed to read in high school, Jimmy and I. And that is a fucking crime to make children read this book. Yeah, I oh, wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't inflict this on kids. I'd rather have looking back on it as a 15-year-old, I probably would have preferred the guillotine. Like this was <laughs> fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> 
for a child. Like, it's just reading it now, and I have a pretty good vocabulary, I think, constantly looking up words. And it's well, Mike. We were, as high school students, required to carry a dictionary with us at all times. Our high no one did, but we were supposed to. <laughs> That's because I carried it at least the first three That's years of high school. The dumbest thing I've did ever you say, heard. Did you say the least? The first four years? Three. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. We it was gra- really I graduated dumb. on time. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. No, it was dumb. But we but went to the did. best steal of high schools, where they were like, "You need to carry a dictionary all the time." And I remember every once in a while, some dick teacher would be like, what does this word mean? And you're like, and no one would, what does munificent mean? Like, Fucking shut the fuck up. Just tell us. A lot of money. It's your job to teach me. And then they'd go, take out your dictionaries. And then some cunt teachers would be like, mm, that's not a good dictionary. You need to get a different one. <laughs> they're, they're fucking assholes. This is like right at the time when... We switched as a society in America from teachers need to teach you to teachers are somehow in any way accountable for what they do. You know, so... You You mean, if you don't get it, it's your fault, or if you don't get it, it's the teacher's fault. Yeah, so it's kind of like right on the line. So they're like, oh, you don't have the right book. (laughs) It's not me. Also, the teachers in our school were... uh, Arrogant that they taught at this supposed great school, and so they, 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 they phoned it in and were assholes about it sometimes. Yeah, well, because they 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 uh, intuited that if you have easy to teach kids, you don't have to teach. <laughs> you just yeah. you just pit the Asians against each other, <laughs> and then like, hey, you it's your job to get a hundred, and then like the nerdy kids are like, "Fuck, I'm doing that. I'm going to study for thirty seven hours for that test." But we digress. I see why people think this is a book to teach to kids or high school students. If you want to teach people how to write descriptive writing, there are some beautiful passages in this book. There are some really, really amazing passages that Dickens writes, and he uses the fuck out of the the thesaurus. It's his favorite dinosaur. He's all about it. And there's, there's, like, there were words I was looking up. I've read this book Did before. they know about dinosaurs yet? They knew they were yes. put there by God to test our faith. And so... They, they had <laughs> some idea. They were like, did what? They, the? Did they know, like... So, okay, 1859. Isn't that also the year Origin of Species comes out? I believe it is. Yeah. Another Chucky e. D. All right. So, uh, anyway. <laughs> oh, so, or is that 1849? It's no, it's, 18, it's it's totally eighteen fifty nine. There you that's go. Like so anyway, special years like a lot of shit came out. That so year. this was so Origin of Species had had just come out that year. But people, but the fact that these giant fucking bones were like found even in England, that people knew that, like that had been going on for at least real. around a hundred years. <laughs> Here, there be dragons as well. It's an iguanodon. So, they didn't like necessarily know about all about the dinosaurs that we know of today, but they knew a little bit. Well, they, I mean, let me rephrase. They found giant bones, and they're like, "Here's an iguana dong." No, it's a dinosaur. Yes, penis joke. Yes, Nate turned off his camera. He's fapping. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> yes, Smegosaurus. So anyway, yeah, I would not inflict this on students. It's like. It's not worth it. I mean, because the language is so complicated, but yet it gives you 
Uh, which, you know, if you want a kid to read that, yeah, sure. But you don't have to do all of this for this such a long book. But if you want them to learn about the French Revolution, just teach them about the French Revolution. You don't have to read this book to learn about it because you actually only learn a little. Right. It's only the first wave of it. The first the first of three revolutions <laughs> is what you get from this and, book. And it kind of... It only, like, vaguely... You would want to be more specific about, really, what caused the French Revolution and then about Robespierre. There's nothing about about the tennis court oath. Louis XIV and, you know, and the Declaration of Rights of Man. And the Miami... a lot of stuff. The Miami Dauphins. (laughs) My favorite football team. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So there's a lot of, like, stuff you would want to learn in a history class about the French Revolution that this book just does not talk about. It is really... Mainly, like uh, like Charles Dickens' other books, it's about the sort of regular people who went through it, and not about the and not about Robespierre or the the political leaders exactly, which is what most history focuses on. So there's something to learn from it, but it's still like you can do it better. And if you want to read Charles Dickens, read something shorter. Read A Christmas Carol. It's very short Don't read and that. fun, and you still get the same thing out of it so i found um this quote on wikipedia about <laughs> from the uh um, brainyquotes.com I, I was i pulled the prince harry um because you mentioned robespierre which is um doesn't it uh, how do you name your kid robes that's a terrible name um it means dress it means dress peter dress peter yeah it's, it's condoms uh <laughs> So Robespierre's execution in, in Carlyle's History of the French Revolution, it's like super dramatic. And this is like the tone for A Tale of Two Cities. This is the quote. All eyes are on Robespierre's tumbrel, where he is, <laughs> his jaw bound in dirty linen with his half-dead brother and his half-dead Henriot. I don't know how to say that. He had been shot in the face when during his arrest. That's why Oof. the thing about his jaw being Yeah, he was saying that like, with the... He had been shot in the face. Like he had a toothache in 1909. <laughs> shoot it out. Uh, and his half-dead Henriot lies shattered there, 17 hours of agony about to end. The gendarmes point their swords at him to show the people which is he. A woman springs on the tumbril, clutching the side of it with one hand, waving the other sibyl-like, and exclaims, The death of thee gladdens my very heart. I don't know what this means in French. Men de joie. Robespierre opens his eyes. Oh, yeah. Scalarat, whatever that is. Scaramouche. Go down to hell with the curses of all wives and mothers. At the foot of the scaffold... They stretched him on the ground till his turn came, lifted aloft. His eyes again opened, caught the bloody axe. Samson wrenched the coat off him, wrenched the dirty linen from his jaw. The jaw fell powerless. There burst from him a cry, hideous to hear and see. Samson, thou canst not be too quick. Like This is like not history as we think of it. It's It's no. very much like, the literature of the 1800s. But it's a fucking great story. Like, it's dramatic. It's like, shit's happening. This is way better than most history books I've read. I kind of want to read this book. I kind of want to see what he does. Well, you know what, Michael? You can. (laughs) Yeah, you know (laughs) what? I'm going to stop you. (laughs) Don't tempt me, Nate, because I could punish you all soon. 
just 11 months from now. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 I was thinking, Nate, that you and me would need to figure out a way to punish Jimmy for making us read Ulysses. And this felt too easy. This is any punishment. Exactly. This isn't punishment Any punishment enough. we do is self-inflicted, so. Yeah, but if me and Nate conspire <laughs> and we make you do it, it's less bad. You still have to do it. <laughs> but the, the whole thing is that Carlyle's style is super, you know, 1800s writing. Yeah. And Dickens is like, that's great. I'm going to turn that into a, like a, an exciting plot. As if the French Revolution wasn't exciting enough. Let's make it about a bunch of people who weren't there. And let's pretend England is involved. <laughs> anyway, I, I think though, if you were in the right frame of, if you have like the right kind of patience and the right kind of in the right time to read this book, I think it's really good. I really, I think really, good. I think it was really good. There's a reason it's one of the best selling books of all time, and it's been perpetually in print and translated into like fucking every language. I'm sure it's really good. I really liked it. I think, and, and, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't do any research. Maybe you guys found this. At the end of his life, Dickens, what was the book he died writing? The Mystery of Edwin Drood or something like that? He died and didn't finish the book, right? But it was being published serially. serially. No one knows the fucking ending of that book because he didn't write it all out. He was literally doing it a week or a chapter or whatever at a time. For him to have done something even close to that with this, dude's a goddamn genius. Because everything you mean if he came didn't back. Have a plot already planned out. And he probably had an idea, but like everything comes back. It's really cohesive. It does. It's really good. With Sidney Carton like looking exactly like Charles Darnay, and so can take his place at the guillotine to sacrifice himself. But even like the random time where you're like, why is the guy following the funeral to dig up the grave? Oh, because later it turns out that spy isn't dead, and then this other spy is comes back in France, and they blackmail him, so he has to help Sidney Carton with the plan. It all works out. It does come together. It is it's intricately a, done. It's like an episode of the A-Team. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> and I pity the fool who doesn't enjoy this book. It, it really is amazing. It is fucked up to make 16-year-olds who just want to have sex read this. <laughs> That's horrendous. But it is a great book. It is really, really good. It drags, and now that I've read it before and I knew it was happening, it wasn't as effective for me. But the first time I, I, in high school, I pretended to read this, and I, you know... We got nothing out of I it. I convinced nobody, <laughs> but <laughs> I read it, you know, when I was in my mid-twenties, I guess, and I was reading it, and I fucking loved it. I loved the the obscure words I didn't know, the descriptions, like, everything was... You know, this is a time when there's no... Like, there's barely photography. He has to paint the picture constantly, and it doesn't really... I gotta say, it's really good. There's a reason it's in the canon. It's a great book for grown-ups. <laughs> That's that's the key. And anybody who's a fucking high school English teacher is like, no, children should learn it. Shut the fuck up. No. You're not going to make them readers. For every one kid that you make a reader from Tale of Two Cities, you made 25 kids think that books are terrible. Yeah. But if you're a grown-up and 
you have some patience and you want it, it's a really, really good book. And if you're a grown-up, tell us what you thought. <laughs> Send us an email to DrunkEyesBookClub at gmail.com. Or follow us on Twitter at DrunkEyesBC. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at DrunkEyesBookClub. And um, give us money. Because please, patron.com. Thanks. Bye. And join us on Goodreads and reads goods. Also, you can read goods and you can good reads. Both. Killing it, guys. You're <laughs> killing it. <laughs> no killing one it. listens. If you've listened this far, they've email already me pushed and they've I will already Venmo you next. a dollar. Just no they've one's already listening. already fast forwarded. They're, they, they're, they're, they skip through it and write. Mark has played, so it's off their queue. And there's people an hour and a half ago, like, these guys are idiots, and they fucking left. And, and check out us. the Hopped Up Network, a network <laughs> of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.